Book twenty, chapters twenty through twenty four of the City of God. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Darren L. Slider, www.logoslibrary.org. The City of God by St. Augustine of Hippo. Book twenty, chapter twenty. But the Apostle has said nothing here regarding the resurrection of the dead, but in his first epistle to the Thessalonians he says, We would not have you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning them which are asleep, etc. These words of the Apostle most distinctly proclaim the future resurrection of the dead, when the Lord Christ shall come to judge the quick and the dead. But it is commonly asked whether those whom our Lord shall find alive upon earth, personated in this passage by the Apostle, and those who are alive with him, shall never die at all, or shall pass with incomprehensible swiftness through death to immortality in the very moment during which they shall be caught up along with those who rise again to meet the Lord in the air. For we cannot say that it is impossible that they should both die and revive again, while they are carried aloft through the air. For the words, And so shall we ever be with the Lord, are not to be understood as if he meant that we shall always remain in the air with the Lord, for he himself shall not remain there, but shall only pass through it as he comes. For we shall go to meet him as he comes, not where he remains, but so shall we be with the Lord. That is, we shall be with him, possessed of immortal bodies, wherever we shall be with him. We seem compelled to take the words in this sense, and to suppose that those whom the Lord shall find alive upon earth shall, in that brief space, both suffer death and receive immortality. For this same apostle says, In Christ shall all be made alive while speaking of the same resurrection of the body, he elsewhere says, That which thou sowest is not quickened, except it die. How then shall those whom Christ shall find alive upon earth be made alive to immortality in him, if they die not, since on this very account it is said, That which thou sowest is not quickened, except it die? Or, if we cannot properly speak of human bodies as sown, unless in so far as by dying they do in some sort return to the earth, as also the sentence pronounced by God against the sinning father of the human race runs, Earth thou art, and unto earth shalt thou return, we must acknowledge that those whom Christ at his coming shall find still in the body are not included in these words of the apostle, nor in those of Genesis. For, being caught up into the clouds, they are certainly not sown, neither going nor returning to the earth, whether they experience no death at all, or die for a moment in the air. But, on the other hand, there meets us the saying of the same apostle when he was speaking to the Corinthians about the resurrection of the body, We shall all rise, or, as other manuscripts read, We shall all sleep. Since, then, there can be no resurrection unless death has preceded, and since we can in this passage understand by sleep nothing else than death, how shall all either sleep or rise again, if so many persons whom Christ shall find in the body shall neither sleep nor rise again? 
If then we believe that the saints who shall be found alive at Christ's coming, and shall be caught up to meet him, shall in that same ascent pass from mortal to immortal bodies, we shall find no difficulty in the words of the apostle, either when he says, That which thou sowest is not quickened, except it die, or when he says, We shall all rise, or all sleep, for not even the saints shall be quickened to immortality unless they first die, however briefly, and consequently they shall not be exempt from resurrection which is preceded by sleep, however brief. And why should it seem to us incredible that that multitude of bodies should be, as it were, sown in the air, and should in the air forthwith revive immortal and incorruptible, when we believe on the testimony of the same apostle that the resurrection shall take place in the twinkling of an eye, and that the dust of bodies long dead shall return with incomprehensible facility and swiftness to those members that are now to live endlessly? Neither do we suppose that in the case of these saints the sentence, Earth thou art, and unto earth shalt thou return, is null, though their bodies do not, on dying, fall to earth, but both die and rise again at once while caught up into the air. For thou shalt return to earth means, thou shalt at death return to that which thou wert before life began. Thou shalt, when examine it, be that which thou wert before thou wast animate. For it was into a face of earth that God breathed the breath of life when man was made a living soul, as if it were said, Thou art earth with a soul, which thou wast not, thou shalt be earth without a soul, as thou wast. And this is what all bodies of the dead are before they rot. And what the bodies of those saints shall be if they die, no matter where they die, as soon as they shall give up that life which they are immediately to receive back again. In this way, then, they return, or go to earth, inasmuch as from being living men they shall be earth, as that which becomes cinder is said to go to cinder, that which decays to go to decay, and so of six hundred other things. But the manner in which this shall take place we can now only feebly conjecture, and shall understand it only when it comes to pass. For that there shall be a bodily resurrection of the dead when Christ comes to judge quickened dead, we must believe, if we would be Christians. But if we are unable perfectly to comprehend the manner in which it shall take place, our faith is not on this account vain. Now, however, we ought, as we formerly promised, to show, as far as seems necessary, what the ancient prophetic books predicted concerning this final judgment of God, and I fancy no great time need be spent in discussing and explaining these predictions if the reader has been careful to avail himself of the help we have already furnished. CHAPTER Twenty One. The prophet Isaiah says, The dead shall rise again, and all who are in the graves shall rise again, and all who are in the earth shall rejoice. For the dew which is from thee is their health, and the earth of the wicked shall fall. All the former part of this passage relates to the resurrection of the blessed. But the words, The earth of the wicked shall fall, is rightly understood as meaning that the bodies of the wicked shall fall into the ruin of damnation. And if we would more exactly and carefully scrutinize the words which refer to the resurrection of the good, we may refer to the first resurrection the words, The dead shall rise again, and to the second the following words, And all who are in the graves shall rise again. And if we ask what relates to those saints whom the Lord at his coming shall find alive upon earth, the following clause may be suitably referred to them.
all who are in the earth shall rejoice, for the dew which is from thee is their health. By health in this place it is best to understand immortality, for that is the most perfect health which is not repaired by nourishment as by a daily remedy. In like manner the same prophet, affording hope to the good and terrifying the wicked regarding the day of judgment, says, Thus saith the Lord, Behold, I will flow down upon them as a river of peace, and upon the glory of the Gentiles as a rushing torrent. Their sons shall be carried on the shoulders, and shall be comforted on the knees. As one whom his mother comforteth, so shall I comfort you, and ye shall be comforted in Jerusalem." and ye shall see, and your heart shall rejoice, and your bones shall rise up like a herb. And the hand of the Lord shall be known by his worshippers, and he shall threaten the contumacious. For behold, the Lord shall come as a fire, and as a whirlwind his chariots, to execute vengeance with indignation, and wasting with a flame of fire. For with fire of the Lord shall all the earth be judged, and all flesh with his sword. Many shall be wounded by the Lord." In his promise to the good he says that he will flow down as a river of peace, that is to say, in the greatest possible abundance of peace. With this peace we shall in the end be refreshed, but of this we have spoken abundantly in the preceding book. It is this river in which he says he shall flow down upon those to whom he promises so great happiness, that we may understand that in the region of that felicity which is in heaven all things are satisfied from this river. But because there shall thence flow, even upon earthly bodies, the peace of incorruption and immortality, therefore he says that he shall flow down as this river, that he may, as it were, pour himself from things above to things beneath, and make men the equals of the angels. By Jerusalem, too, we should understand not that which serves with her children, but that which, according to the apostle, is our free mother, eternal in the heavens. In her we shall be comforted as we pass toil-worn from earth's cares and calamities, and be taken up as her children on her knees and shoulders. Inexperienced and new to such blandishments, we shall be received into unwanted bliss. There we shall see, and our heart shall rejoice. He does not say what we shall see, but what but God, that the promise in the gospel may be fulfilled in us, blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. What shall we see but all those things which now we see not, but believe in, and of which the idea we form, according to our feeble capacity, is incomparably less than the reality? And ye shall see, he says, and your heart shall rejoice. Here ye believe there ye shall see. But because he said, Your heart shall rejoice, lest we should suppose that the blessings of that Jerusalem are only spiritual, he adds, And your bones shall rise up like a herb, alluding to the resurrection of the body, and, as it were, supplying an omission he had made. For it will not take place when we have seen, but we shall see when it has taken place. For he had already spoken of the new heavens and the new earth, speaking repeatedly and under many figures of the things promised to the saints, and saying, There shall be new heavens and a new earth, and the former shall not be remembered nor come into mind, but they shall find in it gladness and exultation. 
Behold, I will make Jerusalem an exultation, and my people a joy. And I will exult in Jerusalem, and joy in my people, and the voice of weeping shall be no more heard in her. And other promises which some endeavour to refer to carnal enjoyment during the thousand years. For in the manner of prophecy figurative and literal expressions are mingled, so that a serious mind may, by useful and salutary effort, reach the spiritual sense. But carnal sluggishness, or the slowness of an uneducated and undisciplined mind, rests in the superficial letter, and thinks there is nothing beneath to be looked for. But let this be enough regarding the style of those prophetic expressions just quoted. And now to return to their interpretation. When he had said, And your bones shall rise up like a herb, in order to show that it was the resurrection of the good, though a bodily resurrection, to which he alluded, he added, And the hand of the Lord shall be known by his worshippers. What is this but the hand of him who distinguishes those who worship from those who despise him? Regarding these the context immediately adds, And he shall threaten the contumacious, or, as another translator has it, the unbelieving. He shall not actually threaten then, but the threats which are now uttered shall then be fulfilled in effect. For behold, he says, the Lord shall come as a fire, and as a whirlwind his chariots, to execute vengeance with indignation, and wasting with a flame of fire. For with fire of the Lord shall all the earth be judged, and all flesh with his sword, many shall be wounded by the Lord. By fire, whirlwind, sword, he means the judicial punishment of God. For he says that the Lord himself shall come as a fire to those, that is to say, to whom his coming shall be penal. By his chariots, for the word is plural, we suitably understand the ministration of angels. And when he says that all flesh and all the earth shall be judged with his fire and sword, we do not understand the spiritual and holy to be included, but the earthly and carnal, of whom it is said that they mind earthly things, and to be carnally minded is death, and whom the Lord calls simply flesh when he says, My spirit shall not always remain in these men, for they are flesh. As to the words, Many shall be wounded by the Lord, this wounding shall produce the second death. It is possible indeed to understand fire, sword, and wound in a good sense, for the Lord said that he wished to send fire on the earth. And the cloven tongues appeared to them as fire when the Holy Spirit came. And our Lord says, I am not come to send peace on earth, but a sword. And Scripture says that the word of God is a doubly sharp sword on account of the two edges, the two testaments. And in the Song of Songs the Holy Church says that she is wounded with love, pierced, as it were, with the arrow of love. But here, where we read or hear that the Lord shall come to execute vengeance, it is obvious in what sense we are to understand these expressions. After briefly mentioning those who shall be consumed in this judgment, speaking of the wicked and sinners under the figure of the meats forbidden by the old law, from which they had not abstained, he summarily recounts the grace of the New Testament from the first coming of the Saviour to the last judgment of which we now speak, and herewith he concludes his prophecy. For he relates that the Lord declares that he is coming to gather all nations, that they may come and witness his glory. For as the apostle says, all have sinned, and are in want of the glory of God. 
and he says that he will do wonders among them, at which they shall marvel and believe in him, and that from them he will send forth those that are saved into various nations, and distant islands which have not heard his name, nor seen his glory, and that they shall declare his glory among the nations, and shall bring the brethren of those to whom the prophet was speaking, that is, shall bring to the faith under God the Father the brethren of the elect Israelites, and that they shall bring from all nations an offering to the Lord on beasts of burden and wagons, which are understood to mean the aids furnished by God in the shape of angelic or human ministry, to the holy city Jerusalem, which at present is scattered over the earth in the faithful saints. For where divine aid is given, men believe, and where they believe, they come." And the Lord compared them, in a figure, to the children of Israel offering sacrifice to him in his house with psalms, which is already everywhere done by the church. And he promised that from among them he would choose for himself priests and Levites, which also we see already accomplished. For we see that priests and Levites are now chosen, not from a certain family and blood, as was originally the rule in the priesthood, according to the order of Aaron, but as befits the New Testament, under which Christ is the high priest, after the order of Melchizedek, in consideration of the merit which is bestowed upon each man by divine grace. And these priests are not to be judged by their mere title, which is often borne by unworthy men, but by that holiness which is not common to good men and bad. After having thus spoken of this mercy of God which is now experienced by the church, and is very evident and familiar to us, he foretells also the ends to which men shall come when the last judgment has separated the good and the bad, saying by the prophet, or the prophet himself speaking for God, for as the new heavens and the new earth shall remain before me, said the Lord, so shall your seed and your name remain, and there shall be to them month after month, and sabbath after sabbath. All flesh shall come to worship before me in Jerusalem, said the Lord, and they shall go out and shall see the members of the men who have sinned against me. Their worm shall not die, neither shall their fire be quenched, and they shall be for a spectacle to all flesh. At this point the prophet closed his book, as at this point the world shall come to an end. Some indeed have translated carcasses instead of members of the men, meaning by carcasses the manifest punishment of the body, although carcass is commonly used only of dead flesh, while the bodies here spoken of shall be animated, else they could not be sensible of any pain. But perhaps they may, without absurdity, be called carcasses, as being the bodies of those who are to fall into the second death. And for the same reason it is said, as I have already quoted, by this same prophet, the earth of the wicked shall fall. It is obvious that those translators who use a different word for men do not mean to include only males, for no one will say that the women who sin shall not appear in that judgment. But the male sex, being the more worthy, and that from which the woman was derived, is intended to include both sexes. 
but that which is especially pertinent to our subject is this, that since the words all flesh shall come apply to the good, for the people of God shall be composed of every race of men, for all men shall not be present, since the greater part shall be in punishment. But, as I was saying, since flesh is used of the good, and members or carcasses of the bad, certainly it is thus put beyond a doubt that that judgment in which the good and the bad shall be allotted to their destinies shall take place after the resurrection of the body, our faith in which is thoroughly established by the use of these words. CHAPTER Twenty Two. But in what way shall the good go out to see the punishment of the wicked? Are they to leave their happy abodes by a bodily movement, and proceed to the places of punishment, so as to witness the torments of the wicked in their bodily presence? Certainly not, but they shall go out by knowledge. For this expression, go out, signifies that those who shall be punished shall be without. And thus the Lord also calls these places the outer darkness, to which is opposed that entrance concerning which it is said to the good servant, Enter into the joy of thy Lord, that it may not be supposed that the wicked can enter thither and be known, but rather that the good by their knowledge go out to them, because the good are to know that which is without. For those who shall be in torment shall not know what is going on within in the joy of the Lord, but they who shall enter into that joy shall know what is going on outside in the outer darkness. Therefore it is said, They shall go out, because they shall know what is done by those who are without. For if the prophets were able to know things that had not yet happened, by means of that indwelling of God in their minds, limited though it was, shall not the immortal saints know things that have already happened, when God shall be all in all? The seed, then, and the name of the saints shall remain in that blessedness, the seed to wit of which John says, and his seed remaineth in him and the name of which it was said through Isaiah himself, I will give them an everlasting name. And there shall be to them month after month, and sabbath after sabbath, as if it were said, moon after moon, and rest upon rest, both of which they shall themselves be when they shall pass from the old shadows of time into the new lights of eternity. The worm that dieth not, and the fire that is not quenched, which constitute the punishment of the wicked, are differently interpreted by different people. For some refer both to the body, others refer both to the soul, while others again refer the fire literally to the body, and the worm figuratively to the soul, which seems the more credible idea. But the present is not the time to discuss this difference, for we have undertaken to occupy this book with the last judgment, in which the good and the bad are separated. Their rewards and punishments we shall more carefully discuss elsewhere. CHAPTER Twenty Three. Daniel prophesies of the last judgment in such a way as to indicate that Antichrist shall first come, and to carry on his description to the eternal reign of the saints. For when in prophetic vision he had seen four beasts, signifying four kingdoms, and the fourth conquered by a certain king, who is recognized as Antichrist, and after this the eternal kingdom of the Son of Man, that is to say, of Christ, he says, My spirit was terrified, I, Daniel, in the midst of of my body, and the visions of my head troubled me, etc. Some have interpreted these four kingdoms as signifying those of the Assyrians, Persians, Macedonians, and Romans. 
they who desire to understand the fitness of this interpretation may read jerome's book on daniel which is written with a sufficiency of care and erudition but he who reads this passage even half asleep cannot fail to see that the kingdom of antichrist shall fiercely though for a short time assail the church before the last judgment of god shall introduce the eternal reign of the saints for it is patent from the context that the time times and half a time means a year and two years and half a year that is to say three years and a half sometimes in scripture the same thing is indicated by months for though the word times seems to be used here in the latin indefinitely that is only because the latins have no dual as the greeks have and as the hebrews also are said to have times therefore is used for two times as for the ten kings whom as it seems antichrist is defined in the person of ten individuals when he comes i own i am afraid we may be deceived in this and that he may come unexpectedly while there are not ten kings living in the roman world for what if this number ten signifies the whole number of kings who are to precede his coming as totality is frequently symbolized by a thousand or a hundred or seven or other numbers which it is not necessary to recount in another place the same daniel says and there shall be a time of trouble such as was not since there was born a nation upon earth until that time and in that time all thy people which shall be found written in the book shall be delivered and many of them that sleep in the mound of earth shall arise some to everlasting life and some to shame and everlasting confusion and they that be wise shall shine as the brightness of the firmament and many of the just as the stars for ever this passage is very similar to the one we have quoted from the gospel at least so far as regards the resurrection of dead bodies for those who are there said to be in the graves are here spoken of as sleeping in the mound of earth or as others translate in the dust of earth there it is said they shall come forth so here they shall arise there they that have done good to the resurrection of life and they that have done evil to the resurrection of judgment here some to everlasting life and some to shame and everlasting confusion neither is it to be supposed a difference though in place of the expression in the gospel all who are in their graves the prophet does not say all but many of them that sleep on the mound of earth for many is sometimes used in scripture for all thus it was said to abraham i have set thee as the father of many nations though in another place it was said to him in thy seed shall all nations be blessed of such a resurrection it is said a little afterwards to the prophet himself and come thou and rest for there is yet a day till the completion of the consummation and thou shalt rest and rise in thy lot in the end of the days chapter twenty four there are many allusions to the last judgment in the psalms but for the most part only casual and slight i cannot however omit to mention what is said there in express terms of the end of this world 
In the beginning hast thou laid the foundations of the earth, O Lord, and the heavens are the work of thy hands. They shall perish, but thou shalt endure. Yea, all of them shall wax old like a garment, and as a vesture thou shalt change them, and they shall be changed. But thou art the same, and thy years shall not fail." Why is it that Porphyry, while he lauds the piety of the Hebrews in worshipping a god great and true, and terrible to the gods themselves, follows the oracles of these gods in accusing the Christians of extreme folly, because they say that this world shall perish? For here we find it said in the sacred books of the Hebrews, to that god whom this great philosopher acknowledges to be terrible even to the gods themselves, The heavens are the work of thy hands, they shall perish. When the heavens, the higher and more secure part of the world, perish, shall the world itself be preserved? If this idea is not relished by Jupiter, whose oracle is quoted by this philosopher as an unquestionable authority in rebuke of the credulity of the Christians, why does he not similarly rebuke the wisdom of the Hebrews as folly, seeing that the prediction is found in their most holy books? But if this Hebrew wisdom, with which Porphyry is so captivated, that he extols it through the utterances of his own gods, proclaims that the heavens are to perish, how is he so infatuated as to detest the faith of the Christians partly, if not chiefly, on this account, that they believe the world is to perish? Though how the heavens are to perish if the world does not, is not easy to see." And indeed, in the sacred writings which are peculiar to ourselves and not common to the Hebrews and us, I mean the evangelic and apostolic books, the following expressions are used. The figure of this world passeth away. The world passeth away. Heaven and earth shall pass away. Expressions which are, I fancy, somewhat milder than they shall perish. In the epistle of the Apostle Peter, too, where the world which then was is said to have perished, being overflowed with water, it is sufficiently obvious what part of the world is signified by the whole, and in what sense the word perished is to be taken, and what heavens were kept in store, reserved unto fire, against the day of judgment and perdition of ungodly men. And when he says a little afterwards, The day of the Lord will come as a thief, in the which the heavens shall pass away with a great rush, and the elements shall melt with burning heat, and the earth and the works which are in it shall be burned up, and then adds, Seeing then that all these things shall be dissolved, what manner of persons ought ye to be? These heavens which are to perish may be understood to be the same which he said were kept in store, reserved for fire, and the elements which are to be burned are those which are full of storm and disturbance in this lowest part of the world in which he said that these heavens were kept in store. For the higher heavens in whose firmament are set the stars are safe and remain in their integrity. For even the expression of Scripture, that the stars shall fall from heaven, not to mention that a different interpretation is much preferable, rather shows that the heavens themselves shall remain, if the stars are to fall from them. This expression, then, is either figurative, as is more credible, or this phenomenon will take place in this lowest heaven, like that mentioned by Virgil, a meteor with a train of light athwart the sky gleamed dazzling bright, then in Idean woods was lost. 
but the passage I have quoted from the psalm seems to accept none of the heavens from the destiny of destruction, for he says, The heavens are the works of thy hands, they shall perish, so that, as none of them are accepted from the category of God's works, none of them are accepted from destruction. For our opponents will not condescend to defend the Hebrew piety, which has won the approbation of their gods by the words of the apostle Peter, whom they vehemently detest, nor will they argue that as the apostle in his epistle understands a part when he speaks of the whole world perishing in the flood, though only the lowest part of it, and the corresponding heavens were destroyed, so in the psalm the whole is used for a part, and it is said, They shall perish, though only the lowest heavens are to perish. But since, as I said, they will not condescend to reason thus, lest they should seem to approve of Peter's meaning, or ascribe as much importance to the final conflagration as we ascribe to the deluge, whereas they contend that no waters or flames could destroy the whole human race, it only remains to them to maintain that their gods lauded the wisdom of the Hebrews, because they had not read this psalm. It is the last judgment of God which is referred to also in the fiftieth psalm, in the words, God shall come manifestly, our God, and shall not keep silence. Fire shall devour before him, and it shall be very tempestuous round about him. He shall call the heaven above and the earth to judge his people. Gather his saints together to him, they who make a covenant with him over sacrifices. This we understand of our Lord Jesus Christ, whom we look for from heaven to judge the quick and the dead. For he shall come manifestly to judge justly the just and the unjust, who before came hiddenly to be unjustly judged by the unjust. He, I say, shall come manifestly, and shall not keep silence, that is, shall make himself known by his voice of judgment, who before, when he came hiddenly, was silent before his judge, when he was led as a sheep to the slaughter, and as a lamb before the shearer, opened not his mouth, as we read that it was prophesied of him by Isaiah, and as we see it fulfilled in the gospel. As for the fire and tempest, we have already said how these are to be interpreted when we were explaining a similar passage in Isaiah. As to the expression, He shall call the heaven above, as the saints and the righteous are rightly called heaven, no doubt this means what the apostle says, We shall be caught up together with them in the clouds, to meet the Lord in the air. For if we take the bare literal sense, how is it possible to call the heaven above, as if the heaven could be anywhere else than above? And the following expression, and the earth to judge his people, if we supply only the words he shall call, that is to say, he shall call the earth also, and do not supply above, seems to give us a meaning in accordance with sound doctrine, the heaven symbolizing those who will judge along with Christ, and the earth those who shall be judged. And thus the words, he shall call the heaven above, would not mean he shall catch up into the air, but he shall lift up to seats of judgment. Possibly, too, he shall call the heaven, may mean, he shall call the angels in the high and lofty places, that he may descend with them to do judgment. And he shall call the earth also, would then mean, he shall call the men on the earth to judgment. 
but if with the words and the earth we understand not only he shall call but also above so as to make the full sense be he shall call the heaven above and he shall call the earth above then i think it is best understood of the men who shall be caught up to meet christ in the air and that they are called the heaven with reference to their souls and the earth with reference to their bodies then what is to judge his people but to separate by judgment the good from the bad as the sheep from the goats then he turns to address the angels gather his saints together unto him for certainly a matter so important must be accomplished by the ministry of angels and if we ask who the saints are who are gathered unto him by the angels we are told they who make a covenant with him over sacrifices this is the whole life of the saints to make a covenant with god over sacrifices for over sacrifices either refers to works of mercy which are preferable to sacrifices in the judgment of god who says i desire mercy more than sacrifices or if over sacrifices means in sacrifices then these very works of mercy are the sacrifices with which god is pleased as i remember to have stated in the tenth book of this work and in these works the saints make a covenant with God, because they do them for the sake of the promises which are contained in his new testament or covenant. And hence, when his saints have been gathered to him, and set at his right hand in the last judgment, Christ shall say, Come, ye blessed of my Father, take possession of the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry, and ye gave me to eat." and so on, mentioning the good works of the good, and their eternal rewards assigned by the last sentence of the judge. End of Book 20, Chapters 20-24 20 through 24. Recording by Darren L. Slider, Fort Worth, Texas, www.logoslibrary.org